100 meters in less than 10 seconds. Holt, Gay, Powell, four, five, and six. They're away. Terrific start by Daniel Bailey. Usain Bolt, though, getting into his running. Here he comes. Usain Bolt, challenged by Tyson Gay. Usain Bolt, two clear meters. Tyson Gay in second place. And in third place, the Suffer Power. 9.58. Smashing the world record. Unbelievable. He's done it again. A year later, rewriting the world record again. <laughs> you gotta love that cameraman. He's all he's all slowing down. He's like, I'm just jogging. The guy's like pegging it. He's sweating profusely. 9.58 seconds. And I, I haven't looked this up, but if I'm not mistaken, I think not only did he beat the world record, I think the previous world record was him. So he beat his own personal best, which was beating the world record. 9.58 seconds. I thought, man, to me it looks like Probably a, a, a perfect little image of what we're talking around this series, which we're right in the middle of right now, setting the pace. So here you have the fastest human being that's ever lived, ever been recorded. And I think, man, of all of the races in the Olympics, like the 100-meter sprint, uh, for me, it's like that's the big event. And uh, really what's happened here is you've taken a task, right? Run 100 meters. And the question is, what is the fastest possible time that you can get that done? This is how we live our lives. And this person is probably the ideal, perfect picture of someone trying to get something done as quickly as possible, and he does a pretty fine job. I think with all of that tends to come, when you and I are running as fast as we can, is stress. And I probably don't have to twist anyone's arm here to convince anybody of that. Sometimes it's physical stress on our bodies. Sometimes it's financial stress in our lives. Sometimes it's emotional stress, relational stress that goes on when we're going as fast as we possibly can, trying to get everything done in as short as possible time possible. Usain Bolt made a little statement when he came on the scene, and I want to highlight it today because I think it is probably the perfect launching uh, or springboard for where we're headed. Um, and he means it in one particular way, and I'm going to kind of flip it on its head. So let's put these words up on the screen. This is a quote from the gentleman you just saw running. These are his words. This is my time. He's, that's what he said. This is my time. 9.58 seconds, the fastest man ever. This is my time. Now, what I think he means by that is that he was saying, I have now you know, come into the arena of this sport and I'm going to dominate the sport. That's how I interpret what he means by that. Here I am. It's never going to be the same again. This is my time. What I want to do with that statement is I want to kind of flip it on its head. Because I believe it has a significant meaning for you and I as followers of Christ. If we take that statement, this is my time, under a slightly different interpretation, I think those words end up becoming a real... Um, misdirect or bum steer for anyone who wants to call themselves a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by all of that? Well, we probably wouldn't implicitly say this out loud, but I think 99% of us live under the intoxicating influence of this same premise. But see if, I, see if you can get where I'm going with this. This is my time. In other words... My time belongs to me. 
Slightly different to what Usain Bolt was getting at, but it's the exact same four little words. My time is mine. And therefore, I can do whatever I want with my time, right? I can go wherever I want. I can commit to whatever I want to. I can sign up for whatever I want to because it's my time. And I get to do what I want to do with my time. How many of you, after a long, hard day, you have that little window before you hit the hay? And you usually sit down on the couch, right? Get the telly going, and you get the feet up. And I don't know about you, but it's like, this is my time. No one's to talk to me now. No more children things. Kelly, yeah, you want to talk about what? Uh-huh, mm-hmm, Okay. And if somebody takes that time away from me, I know I'm not alone with this, am I? You feel a little robbed. You're like, wait a second. I have to go to bed in an hour. This is the one time to just chill, veg on the couch, and relax. I want that. How many of you are like, I deserve that time. I need to have it. There's like an amen in the church here. (laughs) C.S. Lewis. It's probably one of my favorite books of his. My apologies for quoting him so often, but... Too bad, I will continue to do so. If you, if you ever want to read a great book, he wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. Such a great little book. And it's a, it's a fictional dialogue between this sort of senior demon and this uh, junior demon, and he's giving advice to him. So the senior demon, he's advising his fellow fiend in this younger demon's efforts to try to undermine your walk with Christ, my walk with Christ. Like, how can we, how can we do something to this man who, who's following Jesus Christ to unravel him and to undo this man? Look at these words, just phenomenal. He says, now you will have noticed that nothing throws him into a passion or emotional. Nothing throws him into a passion so easily as to find a tract of time which he reckoned on having at his own disposal unexpectedly taken away from him. It is the unexpected visitor when he was looking forward to a quiet evening or a friend's talkative wife that throws him out of gear. Now, he is not yet so uncharitable or slothful that these small demands on his courtesy are in themselves too much for him, but they do anger him because he regards his time as his own and he feels as though it has been stolen from him. You must therefore jealously guard in his mind this curious assumption. It's almost the exact same words of Usain Bolt. This is probably written in the 1940s. My time is my own. He's, he's advising his fellow demon, guard this thought in the mind of the believer. My time is my own. Let him have the feeling that he starts each day as the lawful professor of his 24 hours. Let him feel as a grievous tax the portion of this property that has to be made over to his employer. And as a generous donation that further portion which he allows to religious duties. But what he must never be permitted to doubt is that the total of which these deductions have been made was in some mysterious sense his own personal birthright. This time is mine. I'll give you a little. I have to give my employer some. And I don't even feel good about that because this time belongs to me to do whatever I want with it, to fulfill my needs and my desires. And this demon says to the other demon, you keep on letting him think like that. So what I want to do today is I simply want to expose a lie. I 
went out to dinner with my in-laws yesterday, and they live towards Detroit, and we spent probably two and a half hours together, and we had a great old time. And my brother-in-law is chatting to him for a good while, and over the course of that, he probably said this three, if not four times. And I, I, it was so funny because he's not a part of this conversation. He doesn't go to church here. He lives two and a half hours away. And uh, he, he said, um, I'm just so busy. And he probably said it three or four times the same thing. Oh, we're all just so busy. And I long to say, hey, you, you need to get in on a conversation we're having here at Mount Pleasant Community Church. He has a full-time job. His wife has a full-time job. He has four children. Two of them are in college. They all still live at home. He has another two in high school. One just had surgery on the leg. One's doing bowling. One's doing soccer. One's doing an apprenticeship. One's got a part-time job. They're running. They've got like five cars. I mean, he's fixing stuff. He's helping people. He's just telling me all that was going on in his life. And he just kept saying it. It's just so busy. There was something missing from his understanding. And it was simply this. And it's really what we have been talking about. And that is... He seems to feel that that's a, that's a, there's no option in him for, for that reality. And I think we would beg to see things a little differently, particularly from the Word of God. We don't have to live our lives like that. Our time actually belongs to the one that we gave it to. So let me expose this lie if I can. Let's put it back up on the screen again if I can. This is my time. I want you to look at that. I want you to see it as nothing less than a lie. Now, this is only for followers of Christ. If you are not a follower of Christ today, we are thrilled that you're here. We trust and hope that this is a safe place for you. But biblically speaking, you can say that if you want. But if you're a follower of Christ, you don't get the luxury of saying all of that belongs to me. Now, that lie, I think, there is a deeper lie embedded beneath that phrase right there. So let me share with you what I think is underneath that, and it's simply this lie. I am mine. My life is beholden to nobody but me. And that is the scaffolding which holds up the phrase, this is my, this is my time. Now, I want you to just keep that in your back pocket. Keep it in your mind for a moment. This is my time. I am mine. My life is beholden to no one but me. I want you to keep that in your mind right now. And what I want to do is I want to contrast that lie or those lies with this right here. Now listen to this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died and rose from the dead for me to forgive me for my sins. So I turn away from my sins and I ask you to come into my heart and my life and forgive me. Now I will follow you. Now I will live for you. Thank you for being the leader of my life. Thank you for being my savior, amen. I want you to contrast those lies with that little prayer, which was just a simple and common example of what is known as a sinner's prayer. See, when we prayed, if you're here today and you prayed a prayer like that, at some stage in your life, at some point in your journey, if you prayed a prayer like that, really you're saying, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm asking you, to take charge. I'm not running the show here anymore. I'm surrendering to you, God. And these words, when they were spoken from a genuine heart, but then what happens is we then go on living our lives as though our time belongs to us. That contrast doesn't make sense. It doesn't balance out. It doesn't weigh out correctly. Look at a few scriptures here. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God says, I want to give you some wisdom today. 
a wise man, a wise woman, recognizes that time is a limited commodity. And this particular scripture right here is saying to you, you need to measure that. You should know that. You should value that. You should somehow notice that time is a limited commodity. And the word of God says, when you do that, that is wisdom. That's actually wisdom. I visited a church about a month ago, and they had, uh, I was in the children's area where they have, you know the way even here at the church here we'll have a class and it's like, well, the first and second graders go in there and the third and fourth graders go in this room and you have the different ages broken up. And they had a fascinating thing. They had very large glass jars on a shelf right by each of these different rooms. And inside them they had put, I think they must have been gobstoppers or something like that. Really colorful, uh, like yellow and red and blue, different balls. And they were filled in these big glass jars. And the point of it was that every one of these little gobstoppers represented one week where a parent was bringing their child to come in and learn about the Bible and learn about Jesus and, and worship God and, and, and all of that. And so for the young ones, you looked at the jar, for the little tiny ones going in, it was just full to almost overflowing with these little gobstoppers, these bright yellow and different colored balls that were in there all full. And you're like, wow, I'm going to bring my kid all these weeks. You could just see tons and tons and tons and tons of weeks. But then you got to the next age group, and guess what? There were less. And you get to the next age group as they get a little bit older, and there were less. And my brain was going, oh, wait a second. I found it kind of shocking, to be honest with you. Now, that was probably up to some like age of like maybe, I don't know, 11 or 12, maybe until the kids went into like a youth student type thing. But in my brain, I'm like, okay, I realize my kids are growing up and they're getting a little bit older, but I was seeing this visual representation of, man, I only get to take them to church for less time. And then they get older and it's less time. And this is what the word of God is saying. You should count that. You should know that. It's actually wisdom for you to value the commodity of time. Jeremiah chapter 10. Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own, it is not for them to direct their steps. Now that is a direct assault against the lie that we just looked at. My, this is my time. It's for me. And I think it assaults the deeper lie. Well, I'm just mine. And I'm not beholden to anybody. Basically, I can do whatever I want. But the word of God says, no. If you're a follower of Christ, your life belongs to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Very similar thought. You are not your own. Very plainly spoken. In fact, you were bought at a price. Please listen to this. Ultimately, the way we view time before us, the way we view time before us is connected to the way we view ourselves before God. The way we view time before us is connected to the way we view ourselves before God. I'm not my own. I don't get to direct my own steps. Teach me to number my days. If those truths are real in my life, that changes how I understand time. One more scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The time that remains is very short. Spend your time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So in the four scriptures that we've just looked at here, God is talking about that you belong to him, and that time is a reality that we need to factor in. I think the reason why God talks about time so much, and I think the reason why we try to 
keep time in such a tight grip in our fists is not because it's unimportant, but because it's incredibly valuable. Is there a possibility that we are not managing time very well? I would say yes for me. Is there a possibility that I waste time? Absolutely. Is there a possibility that you and I, that we are spending time and investing time and giving time away without regard to eternity or God, without consideration or wisdom or thought embedded in there? This is the reason for us as a leadership in this church that we believe God has spoken to us. It is the reason why we are restating again and again something that is just core in terms of missional for us. That is, we want to lead people into a focused life with Jesus Christ. We live distracted lives. And there are a thousand ideas and events and places to go and initiatives and responsibilities and entertainments and opinions that are enticing you and luring you and pleading for one huge thing from you. I want your time. Give me your time. And if we say yes, and if we sign up, and if we commit, and if we show up, they may be nice things, they may be good things, they may even be enjoyable things, but what possibly gets sidelines are the God things. If we live under the lie, my time is my own, I think it has a huge effect. So let me ask you, what God dream has God given to you? But it lies unrealized and asleep in your life. Simply because, here's why, because your time is gone. I mean, something inside of you, something that genuinely excites you, I want you to think right now, is there a, a time or an occasion in your life where you really felt the Spirit of God speaking to you, man, I, I want to get involved in something. I, I want to serve or help or impact people's lives. Like even sometimes you get this sense of a holy discontent inside of you, man. I want to make that right. I want to be about that. But you don't do it because you just don't have time to do it. And you can actually remember, man, I can remember being fired up about that. Whatever happened to me? Whatever happened to being about doing that thing? I look at a room like this. I think of the kingdom of God. I think of the local church. I think of the gospel message. And I think, man, look at the gifts that are sitting in this place today. What gifts do we have that are lying dormant, perhaps? Gifts of leadership in the kingdom of God and in the local church. Gifts of help or generosity. Gifts of communication and music. Gifts of helping and serving. Gifts of craftsmanship and art. Gifts of writing and building. Gifts of compassion and engineering. Gifts of entrepreneurship. Gifts of prophecy and care and love. And yet they are sidelined simply for this reason. It's not that you don't want to do these things. It's not that you don't believe in these things. It's not even that you feel like you're ill-equipped because you actually see these gifts inside of you that God deposited. You simply don't have time to do those things. It's spent. It's gone. Please listen to this. Mission requires margin. Mission requires margin. And if we continue to live hurried, noisy, overcommitted, rushed, frantic lives where we fail to count our days, what is of greater importance is left undone. Because mission requires margin. And godly self-leadership and wisdom is tugging at you today. Time is short. Time is short. 
Make the most of it. Notice it. See it. Value it. You're not your own. None of you prayed this prayer from your heart of hearts and you committed your life to Christ. Then you're not your own anymore. Your time doesn't belong to you. Teach me to number my days, God. Listen to this little story from an author called Henderson. He says, a light drizzle fell on the windshield as I pulled out of the parking lot. We were trying to squeeze in a family dinner between my work commitments, my daughter's friend time, and my son's soccer practice. Sound familiar? As sometimes happened, we were shy of a few ingredients, so I had made a hurried run to the grocery store on my way home from work, painfully aware of how close we were cutting time. Easing into traffic from the store, I caught sight of an older man walking slowly along the slick sidewalk. His eyes were twisted with an anxious twist, and a plastic grocery bag dangled at his wrist as he tried to wipe the mist from his glasses. His drooped shoulders were darkened with rain. In the half second after I passed him, I realized I knew him. I had seen him recently at church. In the half second after that, I calculated immediately that it would take me no longer than 10 minutes to turn the car around, pick him up, I knew where he lived, and I could deliver him to his doorstep. But I didn't. There's no time. I drove right past him. Another victim of the tyranny of the urgent. My time trumped his need. Author Henderson simply says at the end of his story, Lord, have mercy. Let me say it one more time. Mission requires margin. So what would it look like? Today. Not 10 years from now, today. What would it look like tomorrow morning? This week, your world, the reality of where you live, if time were giving back to God for his glory, I don't know any better expenditure of time than for the glory of God. Wonderful theologian Bonhoeffer, he puts it like this. We must allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Oh, <laughs> interrupted. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions, and we may pass them by preoccupied with our more important tasks. We can even convince ourselves. I've even done this as a pastor. I can't possibly help you right now. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm way too busy to help people. I'm a pastor. I have the work of God to do. I couldn't possibly help you. What is that? That's messed up. I think it's actually a part of the discipline of humility. I think it's pride. When we walk into a given week and we say, I know what I need to do. I've got my agenda and I've got my schedule. And man, if anyone crosses that or interrupts that, they're going to hear from me. That's pride. I think it is a part of the discipline of humility. And this is how Bonhoeffer puts it. He says, we must not spare our hand when it could serve another. When we use our hands like that for God and for his glory, we do something that nobody does today. We reject that we're supposed to be the high and almighty manager of our time that is there for our needs and our fulfillment, and we allow it to now be rearranged and interrupted by the one that we gave it to when we prayed, I want you to be my savior, Jesus Christ. God does not just give us time. He gives us time for... 
That's what time is about. I need to be more willing to waste time on things that matter to God than things that matter to me. I'm not advocating that we diminish the value of time or that we are throwing it away. I'm actually advocating that we are raising its value by seeing it through the eyes of others as now that time is under the sway and the direction of the Almighty God. So that means, here's what we've got to do. We've got to pry open our fists that is holding our time, and we've got to hand it back and stop calculating the use of our time down to the millisecond and every minute, and now we're open to wasting it on people for the glory of God. I want to draw a little picture if I can. Um, I've done this picture before, so if you've attended in the last two years, you're like, oh, I already know that. Um, but we have new people coming into this church all of the time. So for some people, you're, um, you're seeing this for the first time. This is what we would probably simply describe as if this church were to um, ask, I think, man, if there's one thing you could do, well, what, what would that be? If there's one next step you could do, what would that be? And so very simple. I'm going to write this down here. Gather. Is that coming up? Good. Together. Don't you love my G's? I always do them like that. I don't know why. So, and then we have a little picture. And I'd love for you to kind of remember this. In fact, we kind of created these so that they would be kind of sticky in your mind so you'd remember this. Um, and so this is really my incredible art here. And so that's supposed to be a pin drop, like GPS, like a map or something like that. Does that make sense? Okay, just roll with me on that. Okay, so if this church is asking you to do one thing, what are we asking you to do? You guys are all getting an A+. plus. This. This right here, that we come together and we, and we gather and we worship and we open up the word of God. If we could ask you to do one other thing, this is what we would ask you to do. Grow in a group. And incredible art once again. Look at that. Oh yeah. That's pretty good, isn't it? Okay. You know, he's happy because he's growing in a group. <laughs> if we could ask you to do one thing, we would say, beyond gathering together, we would encourage you. And we have tons of community groups around here that meet in people's homes where they're just going to God and they're connecting with each other and praying for each other and knowing each other and sharing meals. And then at that effort, I think, of having an external expression as a group of people. Last one, if we could ask you to do one other thing. If we could ask you to do one other thing, is it come back to church? Is it get you into this building? Is it get you into the four walls of this building? Is it sign up for another thing or another class or another lesson, another Bible study? It's actually none of those things. It is simply this. Go, live, it, out. And this is my best effort at a traffic light. Does that make sense? So three silly little icons, three little images just to help you remember if we could ask you to do anything as a church, it would be to gather together, grow in a group. Don't come back here. We want to need another evening, another event, another thing. And just go and live it out. This is where we need to be like a hound dog. We've got to be sort of saying, God, I, I want to sniff out kingdom occupation in my normal life, in the most normal places. God, I want to partner with the Holy Spirit so that I can actually have a slower pace so I can have the discernment to notice and to observe sometimes the hurting human being that's standing right in front of me. Because I tell you what I'm guilty of. I, 
I don't even sometimes notice what's happening two feet in front of my face because I'm so busy and I'm so important and I have so much to do with my agenda. I don't even see it. I'm guilty of doing that. And we need to be hound dogs. We need to be constantly going around just trying to sniff out. Okay, I know what I thought today was going to be like. I had my plan. I had my agenda. I had my to-do list. I know what I wanted to accomplish. I know my responsibilities. But wait a second. Look, 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 look. Look at that. That's God's interruption for me today. That's God. And I can smell it. I can see it. I actually have the margin to recognize the work of God in a normal place, in a normal day in my life. So, at the grocery store, dropping the kids off at school, in the coffee shop, walking across campus, in your dorm, walking in your neighborhood, in your car, all of those places and a thousand other normal scenarios where God says, I want to lift you out of your plans, I want to lift you out of your expectations and your agenda, and I want to lift you out of the lie, this is my time to fulfill my needs and my desires, and I want to put you in the middle of my mission. Let's go live it out. When this series is over, we're right in the middle of this series right now, we're going to start a brand new series all about that mission that God has called us to. Go live it out. We have two options. Option number one, you can follow what and do what everybody else is doing. This culture. Into a driven, unsustainable pace in which we view our time as our own. That it is there to meet our needs and our desires. That's option one. Clue? Not, not the right answer. Option number two, we can follow Christ into the called life where we yield our time and we give it back to its rightful owner and we allow him to lead us into a life that he has already designed for us. What if that really happened this week? What if you really did that this week? What if you really did open up your fist and you pried open your fingers and you gave the king his time back? What if you really did find yourself as an ambassador in the kingdom, as a gospel carrier, as a person who sees what's happening in front of him or her instead of blasting right past them like we normally do? What if you found yourself serving and loving and caring and giving and teaching and encouraging and sharing your time with people, with somebody, with anybody who actually needs Jesus Christ? Somebody in the church here, I presume they're a gym teacher or something. Let me borrow this for this moment right here. It's a little timer. 9.58 seconds. I think it is the perfect little picture for us of the hurried and frantic life, of us chasing our tails. 9.58 seconds that I have this set to right now. That's the fastest man on the planet Earth, moving at the fastest possible speed. And what I ask you to do right now is in 9.58 seconds, I want to ask you to just count and treasure and value and notice and watch that time, to feel it, to take stock of it. Because 9.58 seconds for us today represents a distracted and hurried and overcommitted life that believes the lie that it's my time anyway that I get to do with whatever I want to do with it. And instead, I think the challenge today is, God, I'm going to need your help. Help me to number my days. 
Help me, God, to number my hours when I said I would give them to you, when I said I would give them to you for your glory. 9.58 seconds. Let's count it now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of time. Help us not to waste it. Help us, God, to press into every moment that you've given to us. Help us to be diligent in these things and to manage our time skillfully. Actually, the stewardship of our time, it would actually be anointed by your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to catch the scent of kingdom matters. To be able to see what sometimes is happening right in front of us, a person in need. Help us, Lord, to be open and available and to have the margin for divine appointments that you have for us today. Before we leave this building, this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, going to work, this week. Thank you for the honor of being on call to be on mission for you. I pray, God, let me not be at my own disposal. We are grateful for your word to us today. And all God's people said, amen. Church, on your mark, get set, go live it out. <laughs>